We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna And then goal from the three and a half. And it's hit! Once again, the rookie, Sonny Michel, to the goal line. Touchdown. He will give it to James White. Right. We'll get the first down and more. 15, 10, 5, diving for the pylon. Touchdown. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger, my producer. And that was Greg Gumbel of CBS Sports. Happy holidays, everybody. Hopefully you had a Merry Christmas. How did everybody else say? Did Santa leave you something nice out of the tree? Hopefully you all got what you were looking for this holiday season. I I always, because I see people that I, I don't see but once a year from my cousin's side of the family, the Scott side of the family. Like, I went to my uncle's last night for, like, dinner. And so, like, everybody was, like, leaving, and we're all saying bye to each other and I can't not say something uncomfortable. So I like I saw my cousin's cousin on the other side of the family, the Scott side, and I was like, "Yeah, hey, it was a good seeing you. I'll you know, see you in uh, 365 days, or unless someone dies." <laughs> and then there was like, "Whoa, we don't want to think about." It. I'm like, well, "I don't know how to not be uncomfortable to others." <laughs> that that sorry, yeah, that's the truth. I will literally see you. December 25th, 2019, or unless somebody dies. Folks, and you wonder why he why he has to dress up and wear Chelsea boots and put sea I'm salt. I'm wearing Chelsea boots right now. Put stupid sea salt spray in his hair. It's because he's literally unapproachable otherwise. He has the personality of a hornet. That's it. That's all he has. My Christmas was awesome, but it was kind of funny. I want, to, I want to explain this to you guys. For those of you who have seen the movie Four Christmases, this might actually make some sense to you. But wasn't the dude's name in the movie Dallas? <laughs> it was. Yes, it That's was. your middle name. So, my wife 
you know, we, I love my wife and I love my wife's family. And we spend every Christmas kind of dividing up, you know, where, you know, now that I'm married, you kind of have to find the division. You spend some of the holiday with your wife's family and some of the holiday with your own. I can, I can say this. It's not that they make me uncomfortable, her family. It's that I don't know how to relate to them sometimes because they are genuinely nice to each other. You know, you go there, they're the type of people who, you know, they offer you a warm cup of cocoa. They ask if you need anything and they're not being sarcastic about it. There's no punchline coming. And I don't know how to survive in an environment like that because I am a damaged human being. So I go to her house or her uncle's house for Christmas Eve and we're there and everyone's just in a good mood. They're talking to each other. They're making it. But I'm watching the way they're all interacting and they're genuinely just friendly to one another. They're you know, perfect example. Her cousin, Mickey, gets asked by one of her other cousins. They're pl- First and foremost, they're playing a game of Monopoly. The whole premise of Monopoly is to bankrupt your opponent. Just dance on their dreams. Crush them. Leave them penniless. That's the point of the game Monopoly. Her and her family are playing. Her and her cousins are playing. And they're actively working together to try to problem solve and give each other loans and keep each other in the game so that they can keep enjoying each other's company for longer. What? I don't know. I don't know what this is like, Chris. I'm watching this like, like I'm watching some kind of exhibit at the zoo. This like, is exactly how Goldman Sachs got started. <laughs> and, and, and her cousin Mickey asks, you know, he's going upstairs to get a drink. And one of her cousins who's playing the game says, hey, Nick, can you take my garbage for me and throw it away? And while you're up there, can you get me a glass of wine? And he did it. He complied to the T. He didn't throw it in his face. He didn't make some sarcastic comment and give him the finger. He didn't, uh, I don't know, take his plate and throw it in his face like one of my siblings might have. And because of how I'm raised, I have no idea how to interact with these people sometimes. I'm wholly uncomfortable just because they're so genuinely nice. I don't know how to, I'm completely out of my element. Which, Chris, leads me to Christmas Eve at my parents' house. And the dynamic was drastically different. We're going to press on and we're going to have the hap, hap, happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap dance with Danny fucking K. And when Santa squeezes his fat white ass down that chimney night, he's going to find the jolliest bunch of assholes this side of the nut house. Folks, don't get me wrong. I love my family. My family's great. These are the people that raised me and made me who I am. At the same time, I don't get to see my brothers collectively very often. And our our relationship is much more volatile. Like I said, the movie Four Christmases. Think back to it. I'm going to go to our Twitter account right now. There's a picture out there of what I like to refer to as the semi-annual Gear Family Brawl. Okay? That's where I fight for dominance of the Gear household. I have to flex a little bit on my brothers. This year they caught me trying to make a cocktail and literally two-on-one thought they could take me down and try to make me tap. Make me say uncle. And guess what? I'm you, you can't hurt steel. You know, you know, apparently neither one of them know what a fish hook or an arm bar is. And apparently that's their downfall. Chris, I am still, I'm happy to report I am still king of the mountain in the gear household for another calendar year. My wife hears this from the other room. You know, she's out there having a wonderful conversation with my mother and with my aunt. And all of a sudden there's all this commotion and she comes in and she has to see for the first time with her own two eyes. Yes, we are having a knockdown drag out fight in the middle of my kitchen floor. Why? Because that's what, that's who I am. 
That's what I'm I'm about. That's that's the dynamic that I share with my closest family members. And we love it. And we love each other. And that's what Christmas is all about, right, folks? Spending time doing the things you love with the people you love. Chris, I'd have to say Christmas was a rousing success. I am king of the household for another year. What could be better? I have no idea. (laughs) Folks, with that, we are going to launch into this week's Bill's News Update. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. The Bills are not going to the playoffs in 2018. (laughs) I know, shocking! That's all the news that there is. (laughs) There's literally nothing else to talk about news related with the Bills. That's it. I mean, there was rumblings of something about LaShawn McCoy having a personal issue with uh, Sean McDermott and that they had to have a closed-door meeting. I have a personal I have a personal issue with LaShawn McCoy. I would love to speak to him about it. I would love to talk to him about all the money he's stealing from us on a weekly basis. I'd love to have that conversation. Is that newsworthy though, Chris? No. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh. So we might as well just jump right into our week 16 recap. Open a fresh beer, folks, because you're gonna need it. The Patriots 24, the Buffalo Bills 12. Let me run back the stats of the game for you. Quarterback Josh Allen, 20 of 41, 217 yards. One touchdown, two interceptions, and a 52.6 rating. Quarterback Tom Brady, 13 of 24, 126 yards. One touchdown, two interceptions, and a 48.3 rating. Tight end Charles Clay, inactive. Running back LaShawn McCoy, Nine touches, 19 total yards, $379,687.50 was his pay for that game. Wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie, eight targets, one catch, eight yards. Bills wide receivers as a whole, six drops and whiffs on catchable balls, 26 targets and just 11 catches, 107 total yards if you deduct Zay Jones' 31-yard garbage-time touchdown. The Patriots' rushing attack. 273 combined rushing yards, 6.06 yards per carry as a team. Two touchdowns, nine rushes of 12 yards or more, and a 13.2 yards per carry on wide by wide receivers on end-arounds. Patriots left tackle Trent Brown, five quarterback pressures and one sack allowed. Tom Brady passes of 10 or more air yards, three attempts, zero completions. Chris, I want to start today's show off talking about this. Tom Brady, what the fuck happened to that guy? Uh, I don't know. He's going to the playoffs, right? (laughs) He's going to the playoffs. Jesus. I mean, last week we had our Patriots correspondent Christian Simonelli on the show, and he talked to us at length about Tom Brady's sharp regression over the last month, ever since the Tennessee Titan game, where it's rumored that he did take, he, he, it's rumored that he took a shot to his already, the previously injured knee, and that he's nursing some health issues that the team is doing everything it can to try to suppress by having him not miss practice time. 
Chris, I, I, I wanted to believe it, but at the same time, how many times have we heard that Tom Brady's injured and then he comes out and throws for 350 yards on us? That happens all the time, but you were also just before we started recording showing me all this is literally first, we've been doing this what? This is, our end, we're ending our fourth year? Yep. Literally the first time you were, have, were like, hey, watch this and look at this part about the all 22. <laughs> Usually you have no patience with me. That's why that's why I always go to Eric Turner for any questions about football. But you're like, hey, watch this. I'm like, oh, yeah, he is afraid that he's going to get hit by Kyle Williams. He is afraid he's going to take a shot and he's shortchanging his throws. Look at this, folks. I'm gaining cr- patience for Chris. It truly is a Christmas miracle. Miracle. To, to run this back. You look at some of the numbers that stuck out most about Tom Brady's performance from Sunday that I was just dumbfounded by. He was zero attempts, Chris, of 20 or more yards. None. He tried three passes, 10 or more yards, didn't complete a single one of them. Threw for less than 130 yards and actually finished the game with a worse quarterback rating than, than uh, Josh Allen did. I couldn't hit sand if I fell off a camel. I mean, that's that's incredible to me. How is it that you hold Tom Brady to a 48-point-something quarterback rating, and yet you still lose the game? I I mean, that's we're going to get to that in a second, but, I mean, just to think about that, Chris, when's the last time that you saw Tom Brady look human? Uh, Probably his rookie year. And there was a couple plays in particular, folks, that stuck out to me. So as you're looking at the all-22 footage, like Chris was just talking about how I kind of showed it to him. I said, look, this is what I'm seeing. These were plays that stuck out when you're watching the game. First and foremost, second quarter, third and four, Cordero Patterson, wide receiver. It's a seven-yard out route. That's the pattern the wide receiver runs. Brady drops back. Inside defensive tackles run a stunt. Kyle Williams is bringing pressure, and it's developing right in Tom Brady's face. Kyle Williams isn't even within arm's length of Tom Brady yet. He throws the he doesn't even set his feet. He just throws the ball at the receiver, not to him. And the ball falls two and a half feet, maybe three feet out in front of the wide receiver and directly into the ground behind him. I mean, the, Chris, sloppy footwork from Tom Brady. When's the last time you saw that? Uh, it's rookie year, once again. Okay. Rookie year, most likely. Fast forward to the fourth quarter where the game still isn't, it's still early enough in the fourth quarter that the game is still a game. Third and seven, a nine-yard comeback route from Gronkowski. The Bills send a blitz, and there's a free rusher because the line of scrimmage and the running back don't pick up the right people. Brady has time to stand in the pocket, wait for the route to develop, and release the ball. But he throws the ball away well, there's still a good yard and a half in between him and the blitzer, and before Gronk even has time to get his head turned around and find out where the ball is. The ball falls a full two yards, two yards short of where Gronk is trying to turn around in his route. Even his only touchdown pass of the day comes on a play where it's fourth and four. They, they blitz. Edelman's open because our linebackers can't cover him. He catches the ball and somehow miraculously doesn't touch the ground and gets up off the tackle and runs away for a touchdown. If it wasn't for that, Chris, he would have finished the day with no touchdown passes. I mean, when you're watching each one of these plays, there's a consistent theme among them. 
He's terrified to hang in the pocket when pressure's developing in his face. He really, truly is trying to avoid the contact. I mean, it's crazy. That is not the Brady that I've watched destroy this team for the last decade. This might be the first time where I watched us get our ass handed to us by the Patriots, and I walked away from it, I, I don't know, just thinking that Tom Brady looks human. You know, it wasn't, oh, Tom Brady got us again. It was, Jesus, how did they win that in spite of Tom Brady? Which is new territory for me as a Bills fan. It doesn't help that we did nothing with that interception and we did nothing with that fumble from Burkhead. No, it, but, but think about that. Multiple turnovers, again, very un-Tom Brady-like. One of them, I mean, the interception to Lorenzo Alexander, I mean, that's that, that's an act of God. <laughs> that thing just found his hands. But the other pick was a bad throw. And when you really start to look at this, the whole game was just Tom Brady out there trying not to get himself hurt, not really playing to win the game. The rest of the team had to pick up the slack for Tom Brady which is the opposite story from what we're used to seeing from this team. And it really does make you wonder, what is their timeline to stay on top of this division? I mean, on one hand, you have their run. Obviously, Bill Belichick is a wise coach, and he has that ability to drum up all kinds of stuff. He can win any game in any in different varying fashions. He can win a game however he feels like he has to win a game. But with that said, part of that is the fear of Tom Brady. Chris, with a mediocre quarterback, do you think he's going to win the same number of games that he's won over the course of the last decade? No, absolutely not. No. Even with the best rushing attack in football, I just don't see that happening. I mean, this is this is crazy, folks. We're in uncharted territory watching this Patriots team. Yeah, if he had, if he had Rohan Davey, he would have <laughs> given up a long time ago. <laughs> oh, my God. Ro- well, you reached deep for that one, Rohan Very Davey. Very deep. LSU. My, my God. Oh. Speaking about digging deep, Chris, you know who dug deep and yet came up empty on Sunday? Our run defense dug a hole and buried themselves? Our poor son of a bitch quarterback, Josh Allen. Oh, yeah. I started this season just despising this entire move, and then I warmed up to the idea, and now I've reached the point that I generally reach with most Bills quarterbacks, where you just feel bad for them. Sunday must have felt like deja vu for Josh Allen. Let me walk you through this. When he came out of college, the story on him was that in 2016, he had a really strong year and that there was a lot of roster turnover heading into 2017. He waited to declare until his senior year. And then that team just wasn't as good as the previous year's team. Chris, let me draw some parallels here for you between what happened at Wyoming in his last year there and what he dealt with on Sunday. In 2017... The Wyoming Cowboys started zero starters from the previous season at wide receiver, tight end, or running back. Two sophomore wide receivers, only one with playing experience, and the rest of the wide receiver core were freshmen. They started one running back who'd actually seen previous time uh, playing time, one that was hurt for the entire previous season before that, but between the two of them, they had 27 career collegiate carries. And they had a patchwork offensive line that they just kind of cobbled together in between seasons. So, Chris, with that in mind, is it a wonder that he regressed from one year to the next? Yeah, not working. He never worked with a whole bunch at Wyoming to begin with. So None fa- of those guys were going to be in the NFL anyway. Okay, so fast forward to Sunday against the Patriots. 
Two starters from previous seasons at wide receiver, tight end, or running back. One sophomore wide receiver, one journeyman wide receiver, and three undrafted free agent rookies playing wide receiver and running back. And tight end, if you want to get down to it, because Kroom missed his first season. This is his first actual season play. One running back playing the second game in his career. One running back nursing an obvious hamstring injury because he looks slow as hell. And they only ran the ball 13 times between the two of them. And, again, a patchwork offensive line full of talent that probably won't be here next year. I mean, no, Allen was not phenomenal on Sunday by any stretch. But everybody in my house watching that game with me on Sunday, everyone just agreed at the end of the game when it was all done, the clock read zero, and we all just kind of looked at each other. And we all just felt bad. (laughs) We just felt bad for Josh Allen. I see this kid out here getting his ass kicked. He's getting hit. He's trying to make plays. He's he's dancing around in the pocket. He's trying to find somebody, somebody on this roster to help him do the heavy lifting on offense. And he's getting nothing from the people around him. Not the offensive coordinator, not the players on the field. I mean, that Chris, the whole team just came unraveled. And like I said, he's got to be having nom-style flashbacks to his last season at Wyoming. How do you not? Watch that on Sunday, watching the game. Everybody that was over at your place on Sunday, with the exception of you, we were all watching that game as a non-playoff team just playing a Week 16 game. You were watching that with the enthusiasm like they had a shot at the playoffs. We all knew their fate was not playoffs. And no one, I don't think anybody outside of you was emotionally invested in that game on Sunday. But do you want to know why, Chris? And this is, I guess, the... Because you care way too much. This is my biggest takeaway from all of this. When we came into this season, we all did so, I think. I think I speak for a lot of Bills fans when I say that we came into this season with a feeling that, okay, we've got a good coach. We don't have a whole lot of talent, but we've got a good coach. We've got some decent decision makers here. We're going to be okay. We just need to get a quarterback, and we just need to do this, and we just need to do that. And we all kind of made this laundry list of things that we need. Okay? Here's what I see, though, when I watch that game on Sunday. I walk away from that game with anger and with hostility towards his coaching staff because I'm realizing that we've answered some of the questions that we came into the season with in terms of, hey, do we have the right quarterback? Or do we at least have a quarterback prospect who we think we can groom into being a franchise quarterback? So far, Allen has done a lot well. And he's shown that he can grow from one week to the next to the next over the course of an NFL season. But it's opened up new questions in my mind that I didn't think we'd have to answer. I figured by this point in the season, we would be seeing a team that's gelling, a team that's coming together, that's forming this cohesive picture of what we're going to eventually be at or can be at some point in the future. And instead, here's what I come away with, Chris. First and foremost, I watch that game. There is no distinguishable game plan. Chris, first drive, we, we run twice behind the right guard. We pass it once, and then we punt the ball. Second drive. Three short passing attempts, including one of the slowest developing screenplays I've ever watched in my entire life. In college, in pro, I've never, I've seen high school teams execute better screen passes than that. It was just a poorly designed play. And then we punt. 
McCoy carries for a loss on the third drive to start everything off. Foster misses a deep pass, and we panic, so we stop throwing the ball deep. Allen has to scramble, and we punt again. Come out for the fourth drive, Chris, and what do we do? We throw four consecutive short passes, one run by McCoy, and get our field goal attempt blocked. I mean... (laughs) Sounds like you're not happy that McDermott did not... Equal was not an equal to Belichick, who's probably one of the top five coaches ever. It's not my. I'm not talking about not being equal, Chris. I'm talking about you as a staff. Okay, so let's first on the offensive side of the ball. You came into it with a game plan that I can't recognize. I don't know what you were trying to emphasize because on one drive you're trying to just do nothing but throw the ball. On the very first drive, you literally run behind the weakest part of your offensive line and then fail. Shocker. Look at my shocked face, Chris. Oh, good. You chose the the weak link in your offensive line to try to run behind twice and then punted the ball away when the drive stalled. Then you came out and just started throwing the ball around on these little passes that weren't going anywhere. What was your game plan? What part of our offensive strength were you trying to emphasize? Because I didn't see it. I didn't see any consistency. There was no... Most of... Like, you can... I can tell, Chris. I can tell you this. The Patriots came out with a clear game plan. Let's limit the amount of times we expose Tom Brady. Let's run the football. Run it as often as possible. And guess what? You knew that that was their game plan. You saw it. Play conservative offensively. Hope to hang on and get the win. They didn't just get the win. They blew us out. But the fact is you at least knew what they were coming to the table with. You saw what they were trying to do. And then it's on you as a defense to stop it. And that's where my second beef comes up with this. Failure to make in-game adjustments. Chris, you just heard me read off the, the yards per carry on wide receiver end-arounds. Cordero Patterson killed us on wide receiver end, end-arounds because our... He had about three or four good ones. Okay. A lot of that was because Lorenzo Alexander spent 97% of the game. all of the, 97% of defensive snaps. Lorenzo Alexander was on the field. And they know that he's too slow to wall off those long developing run plays. He can't get to the sideline. They abused that. They absolutely abused us with it. And yet, what did we do to fix it? The only time you saw them starting to put more safeties on the field who could stop the run quickly, it was when the game was already well out of hand. To me, that's inexcusable. They, they, uh, again, and they also gashed us in the run game. By exposing the fact that we decided that instead of starting Julian Stanford at linebacker, you know, bigger, established NFL player with experience. Didn't he get carted off? He did inevitably about halfway through the game. Instead of starting him in the first half, we started this Thompson guy who I was really confused about last week seeing snaps. He's a smaller linebacker, and he got swallowed up in the run game. They targeted him time and time again, and Sony Michelle running between the tackles ate him alive. It directly led to the first two scoring drives was the fact that Thompson's a liability out there, and we didn't do anything to fix it. That goes to show that we, I mean, at least for me, shows that maybe we don't have a whole bunch of depth behind Milano. It's not even about depth to me at this point, Chris. It's about how do you address it as a coach? Think about this. You're watching the other team destroy you with a wide receiver on end rounds. Isaiah McKenzie's done a pretty good job these last few weeks running the football, right? Oh, he's also done a good job of getting carted off the field. He had zero carries. Zero. You didn't even try. 
you didn't even try to incorporate it into your offense, even though you saw the other team killing you with the same play. And at the same time, what you did, the handful of times you decided to run the football, you ran directly up the, you went up the middle most of the time. I mean, Chris, out of our 18 rushing attempts, which by my count is far too little for a team built like ours, you only ran the ball 18 times and five of them, only five, did you try to actually get outside the tackles into open space. Instead, you kept trying to run behind center and guard. Again, the weakest part of our offensive line. Why? What, what, what kind of a game plan is that? I, I just, I don't see anything here. I don't see anything mid-game when you realize something isn't working. What do you do, Chris? You can't just say, well, we, we rolled the dice before, uh, before kickoff and came up with a plan and it didn't work, so we might as well just pack this one in. Hey, that's what I'd like to see. We improve. <laughs> We improved our draft position. Who gives a <laughs> shit? That's not NFL caliber coaching. It's not. Not from the offensive coordinator, not from the defensive coordinator, and certainly not from the head coach. And I guess that's the, the final thing that just really ground my gears about this whole loss. Because, again, you're right. We're not a playoff team. We're not going anywhere. This win wasn't going to get us anything. But when I look at this, I see a lack of fire, a lack of execution, and it gives me a lack of faith. Going forward, and this whole Sean McDermott idea, Twitter ate me alive because I, I insinuated that going into next season, I think Sean McDermott deserves to be on something of a hot seat. Chris? Oh, I would say that you were saying that he should be fired at the end of the year. That was not what I'm saying, but that's because you're uneducated and don't listen. So this is what I'm saying. I watched this guy. I'm a fan of SEC football, folks. I have watched coaches, good coaches, come through the SEC for teams like Georgia, teams like Florida, teams like Alabama. And guess what? They run into the brick wall known as Nick Saban. Nick Saban and Bill Belichick are friends, and they treat their conferences the and their divisions the exact same way. They, uh, they chew up everybody you put in their path. And there's been a lot of good coaches who, maybe they're not terrible, but they're not good enough to get over the hump. So guess what? They lose their jobs. What I see and I think is inexcusable is when we play this team, Chris, this is a team when you take the job as the Buffalo Bills head coach, you know what you're getting into. You know you're signing up for a job that you're going to go head-to-head twice a year with arguably the best head coach, of maybe one of the best head coaches of all time, to ever do the job. So I get it if you tell me, well, you can't out-coach him to get wins all the time. I'm not expecting wins, but I'm also not expecting this team to roll over and die every single time. We're like George Costanza screaming about shrinkage and about how we, I was in the pool. I was in the pool. That might as well be Sean McDermott every single time we play New England. That's it. Chris, what? We fail to execute on offense regardless of who is under center. Whether it's Tyrod, whether we have Eric Wood and Richie Incognito, or whether it's Josh Allen and a bunch of scrubs who won't be here. It doesn't matter who we field. This team is never prepared to play the Patriots. Not ever. You look at teams throughout our division, you're supposed to, t I'm supposed to have faith that this is the coach that's going to get us ready to go in the next year once he has better talent. Then why is it that the Jets have a similar record to us. The Dolphins have a similar record to us. Yet those teams at different points throughout the last four years, -ish, well, the same amount of time Sean McDermott has been here, have given the Patriots fits. 
and in some cases even beat them. And instead, we show up to every one of these meetings woefully unprepared and with no visible fire, no willingness to go out there and execute. I mean, the defense does what they can for as long as they possibly can, and it never matters. Why is that, Chris? Who do you blame for that? I mean, for the defense, it's got to be it's on McDermott and, and Frazier, but I've been saying, I've been telling you all year, we don't have anything, any pieces offensively that Dable can work with. Okay, and so, okay, you keep saying that, but now here's, yes. I'm going to offer a counterpoint. All right. Who's to say that he's ever going to get it? And that's my point. Your point to me is, well, he made the playoffs last year, so you can't really put him on the hot seat. Can't I? Chris, teams that don't score 20 points a game on average don't win a lot of football games. I don't give a shit how good your defense. We talked about it earlier in the season. Teams that under are people who have it worse than us. And it was teams that thought that running the football and playing defense, was that it would pan out. We pointed to teams like the Vikings and the Ravens and the Jaguars who were fielding decent defenses, who were running the ball okay, and at the same time were nowhere in the standings. Okay? At this point in time, you what faith am I supposed to have that McDermott understands enough about offense that he can cobble something together that works? I don't think I don't think McDermott needs to have his hands all over the offense. I mean, he does have to have some a, l- a little bit of that. But he's a defensive guy. Just let Daybold coach the offense. And I think when we get to this offseason, we're going to get pieces that Daybold can work with. Okay. And what happens if that doesn't work, Chris? Let's just, then, put, let's just people, put it out there. Then people get fired. What? And so this is my point, though. How long does breaking the drought give Sean McDermott that much latitude that if next year after we do go out, because we're entering one of the most important Bills off-seasons of the last decade, we have money to spend, we've got a young guy that we think could be a franchise quarterback if we give him the right tools, we're going to go out there and try to get those tools. And if we get them and we turn them over to this guy and the offense still continues to be what it's been under his watch, how much rope does he have? And that's what I'm trying to establish here, people. Trying to figure out how much latitude does McDermott really get? I'm not saying he's done a bad job. I like what he's done in terms of changing the culture around the team. I think he's done a good job of putting together a locker room of guys that do come out and fight for each other. But it's worth noting that out of I what he has 17 losses as a head coach, 12 of them have been by double digits. Some of, and at least six of them have been by more than that. Chris, it's it's incredible to me. This guy, who we all look at and we can all agree at face value when you see him, it seems like he's doing the right things. He says the right things. He acts the right way. He seems like the guy that you want as your head coach. He's the Rex Ryan antithesis. And at the same time, I'm watching him, and I'm not seeing a very different result. I'm seeing a team that still plays mediocre offensive football. And I don't know that he has the wherewithal to fix that. And if that's the case, if this is what I'm going to see every single time we play Bill Belichick till he decides to fuck off, I, I can't abide by that. So how many more seasons do we give him, Chris? Or does he deserve, like I said on Sunday, to maybe go into next year on the hot seat? If you get handed all of these new materials to work with and the result is still the same, does he get another year? 
I'm not saying you need to answer that right now, but it's something that we need to start thinking about. Because like I said, I came into this season thinking we were fine on this front. That things would develop. And now as I'm watching this season go, I'm thinking back to all the seasons I've seen with similar things. This is Doug Marone. This is, <laughs> this is, uh, this is Doug Marone. This is Rex Ryan. This is, this is all kinds of things that I hated about Bill's coaches of the past. And this I'm is, seeing it again. This is what, I mean, this, we're having the year that we thought we were going to have last year. And the one thing, since we've been doing this show, I've been, whenever we bring up coaching, I've always banged the drum for consistency because we've never had a coach outside of Dick Duran who got a fourth year and was fired in that fourth year. Got to build a little bit of consistency here. I think McDermott should get a, should be here next year and probably the year after. I want consistency with my head coaches because we haven't had that before. That's it. Yeah, and so far I haven't seen it. So you better find it because to me personally, I think it's costing us football games, Chris, and I can't abide by that. And that's why Sean McDermott is this week's Zero of the Week. Hey, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. You didn't just take a dump in a box, Sean. You wrapped it, you put it under my tree, and put a bow on top of it. McDermott now has four games against the Patriots under his belt, and he's and every year he's fielded a competent defense when we're heading into these contests. He's 0-4 in those, and the combined score is 109-37, to 37, Chris. 109-37. to 37. That's not just getting beat. That's getting out-coached, out-manned, out... I mean, we might as well... <laughs> Chris, that's not even close. Not even close. And if that's the, that's the division that you took a job in, I expect you to do more. I expect more from you, even if you can't get the wins. I expect to see a more competitive unit out there on the field. Not you constantly being outcoached by this guy. It'll be different when he gets his offensive pieces. Trust me. Seagram, Trust me. Seagram's bet. Next year, our offense doesn't finish higher than 20th in the NFL. Say 28th? 20th. And, uh, like, just total offense. Total offense. All right. Somebody timestamp this. You got it. <laughs> there we go. And the hero of the game, I could literally only find one silver lining, and that's our safety tandem of uh, Micah Hyde and Jordan, Jordan Poole. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. I mean, you, you look at, if I'm looking for anybody who did their job well, it's not the coaches. I can't even really give it to Josh Allen because, I mean, t- that one pick was just bad. And well, was, it is, yeah, and <laughs> that cost a, you Seagram. It was a bad interception. And really our offensive line, our running backs, our defense tried, but our run defense was atrocious. But those two guys got together to combine for a sack, a fumble recovery, a quarterback hit, 15 tackles, and they each played 100% of the snaps. Nobody got behind them in the passing game. There was nothing, even when the Patriots designed plays to get downfield, there was nobody open. They took everything away. I mean, that's that in and of itself is worth gold. To me, at least, because I need something, Chris. I need some positive takeaway from this. And that's that we still have the best safeties in this division. And then the the only people on the roster that at some point I didn't violently cuss out during the course of that game. (laughs) You were the only one swearing at your house about it. How often does that happen, though? I'm the only one swearing. Not often, but when the rest of the party understands we're out of the playoffs, we can 
It's just a football game that we're watching. That's, that's <laughs> it. That's. I mean, at this point, I'm at your house to make some cocktails and watch you watch football. I'm just glad it's over, folks. My blood pressure's starting to return to a normal level. I'm calm. I'm taking it all in stride. I'm trying to decompress. And one of the things that helps me with that is thinking about all of the people out there who have it worse than Buffalo Bills fans. So I bring to you that list for week 16. You are one pathetic loser. First and foremost, former Redskins safety DJ Swearinger. You want to talk about guys getting the short end of the stick. Remember how much I bitched about just a few podcasts ago about the Redskins franchise and their petty shitbag of an owner, Dan Snyder. That guy sucks. Apparently, their coaching staff is also a bunch of thin-skinned whiners. I mean, safety DJ Swearinger, if you figure he was, an, he was a pretty high draft pick when he came out of college, and he's had a great season for a guy who spent a lot of his career as a journeyman. He's played for a couple different teams now. He posted 52 solo tackles, four picks, two sacks, three forced fumbles, and started 15 games. And for a guy who's had injury issues, that's pretty good. Chris, you call that a good season. He was, you got named to the Pro Bowl. And I mean, we talked at length about how little the Pro Bowl means. But he's at least being recognized as being a pretty quality player. He's also got a guy who, he's not a guy who minces words. The Redskins on Saturday lost a heartbreaker to the Titans. And that, I mean, that eliminated him from playoff contention. And it's a game where they watched Marcus Mariota, starting quarterback for the Tennessee Titans, go down at a, near halftime and Blaine Gabbert have to come into the game. Blaine Gabbert, Chris. <laughs> Somehow that guy still has a freaking job. Come out and win the game. And so Swearinger criticized the lack of aggressive play calling as a part of the reason the team lost. He came out and publicly said it. He said, look, you're playing, but he said the same thing. I'm. You're playing Blaine Gabbert. Why are we blitzing more? Why are we doing more to try to disrupt this guy who clearly sucks for the most part, at starting in the, at an NFL level. This is the, the not just the second, but the third time he's criticized the coaching staff this season. Okay? I mean, he, he's previously batched them for having mediocre game plans, for having mediocre preparation. He said they practice, Chris, they practice mediocre, and his quote to the radio was that, I like to practice like a winner. I don't like to practice mediocre because it means we're going to play mediocre. So rather than take a look at himself, at the staff, or you know the, the people who have cobbled together this clusterfuck of a Redskins team, and maybe try to see where his Pro Bowl player is coming from, instead, head coach Jay Gruden, the same guy who's gone 35 and 43 and has just one playoff appearance, Chris, decides to do what everybody else does in Washington when someone says something they don't like. They just fire the guy. Ah, Chris. Chris, that's like if you told me I had a poor attitude and I was like, fuck you, I'll find another producer. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Now, now maybe, hey, check your shitty attitude. Nah, no, 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 no. Let's, let's get somebody else to do that job. I mean, talk about shitty. This guy is going to go to the Pro Bowl because we talked about it. Nobody wants to go to the Pro Bowl. And if you're an alternate, it's almost a lock that you're going to get to go. Can you go to the Pro Bowl as a free agent? Well, this is the <laughs> thing. He was just picked up by the Cardinals, but he's going to have to wear the helmet of a team he's never actually played for at the Pro Bowl. How pathetic is that? 
Another guy we should feel bad for because of the Pro Bowl, Broncos running back Phillip Lindsay. First undrafted free agent rookie in history to make the Pro Bowl. Gets injured in a meaningless Monday night football game on Christmas Eve. How shitty is that, Chris? Thank God fantasy playoffs are already over with. Of course that's what you're worried about. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it sucks because the kid was so excited about the fact that not only did he set this record, not only is he a part of NFL history now, but he was really looking forward to the fact that I'm going to get to go to the Pro Bowl. This is a guy who's only making $480,000 a year. Travel accommodations to this thing, Chris, are not cheap. I mean, remember when we talked about how more players would probably go if it Wait, was Wait, isn't it isn't the Pro Bowl in Orlando? It's in Orlando. All right, well, he can get a timeshare. <laughs> he's one of the NFL's most underpaid players, and by NFL rule, if he not, because he's an injured player and won't be attending, even though he set a record, a brand new record that's never been broken before in the history of the league, if he wants to go to the Pro Bowl... Show his face and be that you know, he. The NFL, this is an NFL opportunity. It's an opportunity for the league to kind of put this guy on a pedestal and say, "Look, even those guys who don't get drafted, you still have a shot." There's some of you out there who can go out there and do something. And instead, the rules firmly state he'd have to pay his own way to go. Chris, he literally a guy who doesn't make all that much has to pay his own way to go because he got hurt in a meaningless football game. It's bullshit. It's stupid. Just another reason to boycott the Pro Bowl altogether. And what? It's in Orlando. Chris, you know who goes to Orlando? Oh. People with children yep. who are trying to video visit some shitty theme park. So that'll be you soon. Absolutely not. There's no. <laughs> that, that sounds like you'll just let you'll just let the wife take the uh, whenever you have kids. She can, go, she can go wherever she wants. I'm not going anywhere near that place. <laughs> they call it the happiest place on earth. It sounds like a fucking death trap to me. Oh, my God. But no, so I feel bad for the guy. But you know who I don't feel bad for, Chris? Even though they have it worse than us? Everybody else in the division besides the Patriots. I mean, look, Jets and Dolphins fans are really getting the shaft here. But let's start with, start with the Jets. Top five for 2019 cap space. But they've got a GM who has no proven track record of drafting or signing free agents well. I mean, Chris... This GM put together a secondary. They're three, mo- three of the most expensive players, Buster Screen, Morse Claiborne, and Tremaine Johnson. All free agent pickups that their GM is spending a shitload of money on at the defensive back positions. Just allowed over 400 yards of passing this week to a Green Bay team that just had to fire its coach. <laughs> and, and, Chris, and they all saw over 90% of the defensive snaps. You paid how much money for these players and you're getting that kind of production? They've also got a lame duck as a head coach. And here's the crazy thing. Your GM spent all this money on all these players. And even though you're going to have all this extra cap room next year, you have a lot of holes to fill. Your new head coach might bring in a completely new scheme that just doesn't, doesn't jive with the players you have on the roster. So now the holes that you thought you knew you had, you might be opening up new ones just because of a new scheme. And, and, Chris, I think it's worth noting, for as bad as the Bills have been, they're going to finish fourth place in the AFC East for the third straight year and the fourth time in the last five. <laughs> and then the Dolphins, those teal-wearing sons of bitches. First of all, Chris, they're adult men who have to wear the color teal. 
That's yeah. a punishment enough in itself. And so do their fans. Their fans in trying to root for their team have to actively dress up in teal. What are, are you on a spirit squad somewhere? <laughs> is, is that what you're doing now? I would, you would not pay me to wear teal. <laughs> Although, isn't that the same color as that sea salt hairspray you're using right now? Yeah, that's right. I see that in there in your bathroom counter. You oh. Yeah, that's probably also blue. <laughs> oh, you make me sick. But it makes my hair look amazing. <laughs> All the hair products in the world won't fix the fact that you, sir, are a dead moth when it comes to talking to other human beings. That is 100%, 100% true. The Dolphins, second straight season entering week six with a winning record, only to bottom out and miss the playoffs. The team hasn't improved noticeably in any facet of the game. Chris, they statistically as a team are in the middle or bottom of the league in scoring defense, passing defense, passing offense, rushing offense. I mean, everything they do sucks. Everything that they try to, that they attempt to accomplish on a week-to-week basis sucks. They have a head coach that probably should be fired and yet most likely won't be, but literally may have to depend on the outcome of a meaningless Week 17 game against the Buffalo Bills to save his job. What, what, what do you do with that? You're, literally, your, your future depends on what you do in Orchard Park in the middle of December in a game where nobody, no one gives a shit. Chris, what do you even make of that? Hey, I, I would much prefer the uh, Dolphins to be 0-16 every year. Like, <laughs> if they're going to fire Gase, I would, I would totally recommend them looking into Cam Cameron. I heard he's a really good coach. <laughs> I'll tell you this. If, they, if, if the rumors are true... And this game really does dictate his future with the team. I kind of almost hope that they win just so that this division gets blessed with Gase's presence for another two to three years. And it's fitting we should end with the Miami Dolphins because that is where we go, we go to close the show out this week with our Week 17 preview, the Buffalo Bills against the Miami Dolphins. Travis Wingfield. Soccer-style kicker. Graduated from Collier High, June 1976. Stetson University Honors graduate, class of 1980. Holds two NCAA Division I records, one for most points in a season, one for distance. Former nickname, The Mule. The first and only pro athlete ever to come out of Collier County and won hell of a model of merit. Locked on Dolphins podcast. But this is Miami, pal. Mr. Wingfield, how are you doing this evening, sir? What's happening, fellas? Merry Christmas. I'm doing very good. Merry Christmas. Was Santa good to you this year? You know, I kind of struck all these deals because I'm kind of a Grinch. I don't really buy people gifts as long as they don't buy me gifts back in return. So I didn't really get more than like two or three things. Yeah, but that's not bad. It sounds yeah. like you got exactly what you wanted. That's exactly right. Other than, other than relevance for your football team. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> hey, listen. It's funny. Houses of glass, sir. Houses of glass. I shouldn't be throwing stones. <laughs> yeah, very true. It's funny, man. I had this video on my Facebook the other day, uh, like the two-year you know, time hop thing, and it was me sweeping up logos of the Jets and Bills because the Dolphins had swept both of them for the first time in like 16 years, and it's like, damn, 
I was pumped over a playoff berth just to get to the playoffs, and now here we are two years later, and it's like, who gives a shit? <laughs> exactly, right? It's like after last season, I'm kind of in that boat. I mean, I came into this year telling everyone, look, I'm not going to freak out. I'm not – It was. I was literally Jim Brewer from Half Baked. I'm not going <laughs> to do what everyone thinks I'm going to do and freak out, man. And I still did because, I, unfortunately, that's just who I am. It's how I'm wired. But – when I watch these two football teams, it's like once you get a taste of that and you break whatever size, whether it's been two years, three years, a decade and a half, <laughs> when you break that drought and you get that taste of it, the next season you're like, okay, well, do I want to just make it again? Like, is that good enough for me to make it and get embarrassed? Because I don't, I don't feel like it is. <laughs> so with that, I mean, I guess I got to ask the question. First and foremost, you recently took a trip down to Florida Credentials, we talked about it on the you know professional media credentials. We talked about it in the last show. What was that experience like for you? Tell us a little bit about it. Honestly, just from what I like to do is this whole venture kind of started off as a hobby and something I love doing. It was like the time of my life. I, I couldn't think of a better way to take in a football game than through that lens, so to speak, and especially two victories. Actually, the first two Dolphins victories I've seen in person. I did not get a chance to see Jerry Hughes trying to tear a referee's head off. I was hoping I could have seen that to give you guys an update, but I didn't. I wasn't around for that. I was still in the Dolphins' locker room when that went down, I believe. So, I mean, just the entire experience was phenomenal. I got to see Bill Belichick like in a press room and it just pissed off after that gut-wrenching loss they had. Um, seeing Adam Gaze asking him a question at the press conference, talking to Ryan Tannehill at the press conference, it was just something that any aspiring sports journalist would. It's an experience of a lifetime, man. It was amazing. Speaking of experience of a lifetime, you were in Miami for the Miami Miracle. What, what yeah, was well, miracle? First of all, it's a miracle. Oh, you mean the Miami miracle? Miracle. Okay, I understand what you're saying. Now. Miracle. The miracle. Miracle. So, so <laughs> what? Uh, I mean, I can't imagine what the atmosphere in the stadium was like. I mean, I've been a part of a couple wins, like these improbable wins against teams that you don't expect it. I, I mean, I can think back to the Buffalo Bills beating the Green Bay Packers to keep our pl- slim playoff right. hopes alive here in Buffalo. And it ending on a strip sack fumble in the end zone by Mario by Mario Williams on Aaron Rodgers. And it happening right in front of us. And the whole place was just electric. I can't imagine what it was like down there in Miami. I mean, considering you guys only bring like, what, 20, 30,000 people in the state? <laughs> there were a lot of Bills fans. I, I was actually on Fort Lauderdale Beach on Friday night at a music festival that was phenomenal and that's another story but there was tons of bills fans walking around down there which i thought was interesting because you guys at the time were you know nowhere near playoff relevance but they still traveled well and um just during during the miami miracle though like i mean i was in the press box where you're not supposed to make a peep you know it's like watching a game from church they say and i couldn't help contain myself as far as saying like when Kenyon drake made that cut where he's like oh shit i'm gonna i'm gonna go for it I was I kind of stood up and said, "Oh my God, he's gonna score!" Like I said it pretty loudly, <laughs> and you could kind of hear the like I mean, you can still hear the fans obviously outside the glass window, but you could kind of hear them start to like recognize the same thing, and the volume rose. And then by the time he got that angle on Gronk, it was just madness in that place. And the Patriots look on Patriots fans' faces. Dan Chauncey of the Boston Globe, Ben Reese, I think also of the Boston Globe, seeing them like they were mad about it because Miami is a shit team to those guys, and we are, but. I mean, just the entire experience of kind of ruining the Patriots' day and and being there for it all, being in the locker room and seeing the guys excited about that, it was just unbelievable, man. Well, I'll tell you what, anytime you can piss off Patriots fans, I mean, that, that's a victory in and of itself. So cheers, cheers to you man. on that. <laughs> now, to our own teams, I got to ask, what the hell happened to the 2018 Miami Dolphins? 
I mean, when we talked in the offseason, both of us were, I mean, we, we kind of, as Bills fans, knew we were entering this kind of limbo where they had torn the roster down. There was a lot of dead money. There was a lot of players who we didn't even realize it yet, but were going to be the equivalent of dead money, just they were going to show up. I mean, I refer to them as zombies because they should have been <laughs> dead money. They're just not. They're still out here walking around. You guys have some, you guys had some stuff going on, some stuff that I highlighted about the last time we spoke. We talked about the defensive line in the front seven, how they're the most highly paid players on your team, and this year they really failed to produce anything, which I think in and of itself hamstrung your team. I mean, if you could just kind of summarize for us, what happened from these lofty expectations we came into the season with to where we sit now, where both of us are about to play in one of the most irrelevant football games of all time? The ultimate toilet bowl game for sure. Yeah, I mean, I just looking at the way the roster is constructed for 2019, and you guys had me on in the offseason. I was much more bullish on the Dolphins than most of the national media was, and I think that kind of came to fruition kind of to a point. I mean, seven and eight is not great, but it's a lot better than people thought they were going to be. And I think that some of that misplaced judgment what should have been put on the 2019 Dolphins because even though Mike Tannenbaum gave out three of the worst contracts, in my opinion, in the entire league to Andre Branch, to TJ McDonald, and to Kiko Alonso back in 2017, he kept his job. And then 2018, you're looking at the way the roster is constructed and the guys that are losing this upcoming offseason, they actually did a pretty good job of plugging some holes and getting some veteran guys in spots to just make them a competitive team. And that's why they, I thought they were better than everyone had given them credit for. But a lot of those guys are coming off the books. Mike Tannenbaum now gets fired after doing better this year than the previous year. And <laughs> yeah, it's it's just an absolute mess in the front office and the organizational structure. I think Steven Ross just doesn't get it, which is crazy because the guy made a billion dollars on this planet. He can't figure out how to run another business that comes when it comes to football. But I just don't think they really have the guys to – I mean they're going to take a, a whiff at, at – you know, or a swing at – plugging those same holes that they're going to have when these guys come off the roster. But you just look at the young talent. There's some there, but as far as like gaping holes in the roster, they're everywhere. So we'll see what happens going forward. So head coach, your assessment now, I've been banging the drum for the better part of two years now that I don't think Adam Gase is as good as build. I don't think he's this offensive genius. I don't think he's this quarterback whisperer that everyone keeps calling him to be. And I look at the quarterback position of the Miami Dolphins, and I say, you know what, the fact that you guys haven't addressed it thus far, you had a real opportunity to do so in this past draft, and you didn't. Now, I don't know if that's the GM's fault, I don't know if that's the head coach's fault, but now, with especially with the news that uh, Justin Herbert's going to go back to college, he's not even coming out in the draft. So the draft loses arguably its best prospect in terms of quarterback talent. And this is a team with a 31-year-old quarterback who, under Ryan Tannehill, hasn't found success. I mean, it had a single playoff berth in the time that he's been down there, and they weren't competitive, and he wasn't even under center. So between the head coach and the quarterback, I mean, what do you see for the future of these two guys? We'll go ahead and start with the head coach. It sounds like he's going to come back unless they somehow get throttled in Buffalo, which <laughs> I hate saying this, but I almost am kind of pulling for that because I, you know, I came on the podcast in the summer, like I mentioned, and I was I was pretty pro gaze, and I said that he has all these concepts down in the red zone. He finds ways to get guys open in the offense, and he just, you know, his record has been better than what the talent was on the roster. But that kind of flipped on its head this season because he used the same exact mistakes occurred like across the board. The exact same things you complained about Adam Gaze in 2016 and 2017 are still there in 2018, despite the fact that he finally got 
quote-unquote his roster. So I just don't see him ever taking the step back and the introspective kind of look at himself and saying, this is what I have to do to get better. I need to adapt my scheme around my guys when really the reality of it is if you don't do what I say I want you to do or if you don't do these things a certain way, I'm not going to play you. In the same way that he didn't play Kenyon Drake as much as he should have, in the same way that he kept Jakeem Grant on the bench, in the same way that Albert Wilson got 10 fucking reps in a game this year when he was by far the most explosive player on the offense. So it's the same mistakes over and over again. Now, the other crutch that he has with him is that he really hitched his wagon to Ryan Tannehill and didn't make an aggressive move in the draft to go get maybe a Lamar Jackson. Josh Rosen was there, but I don't think he was ever a guy that the Dolphins were interested in. I know they loved Baker Mayfield, but that couldn't happen, obviously. And Josh Allen was a guy they wanted too, but you guys went up and got him, so that took that off the board. So as far as quarterback for 2019, Tannehill has way too much cash owed to him, in my opinion, to come back with all these injuries now that he's accumulated. Two more this year to go with a knee from 2016, 2017. I think it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater going forward, and Adam Gaze, I think, is on the bubble right now, which is so stupid because this game should not determine someone's future because, like you said, it's a shit game. So we'll <laughs> see with Gaze, and Tannehill's probably out. Jesus. The, 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 you paint a pretty bleak picture of your team here, sir. I uh, I can't I can't wait when we do our uh, kind of our season recap. You know, <laughs> when we start that AFC East season recap series, I can't wait. Once all of the games have been played, we've all had some time to calm down. Where you land <laughs> on some of this stuff? I just I look at the team that we're going up against, and I don't see anything special. And when I look at our roster, I see a subpar roster that in some spots has just outperformed its lack of talent. Now, then again, I watch us go into the Patriots game and just get absolutely outcoached, throttled, just outperformed in almost every facet of the game. And to me, that's frustrating. I've got my own axes to grind with my coaching staff and with my players at least we have that quarterback angle. There's some highlights here for us as Bills fans. I mean, when I look at this game, there's at least a few silver linings. First and foremost, again, it's the youth on this Bills roster that I'm going to be able to look at and say, you know, I'm going to watch Robert Foster. He had a rough, rough game against the Patriots. (laughs) I want to see if he can rebound from that. I want to see if Brian Dable can rebound from what was essentially a... I don't know what the game plan was. When you, can, as a fan, can look at a game and go, I don't know what they thought they were doing. I just genuinely don't know what their plan was. That's a problem. I want to see if Brian Dable can rebound. I want to see if Josh Allen can shake off what is what might go down as one of his worst performances yet as a passer in the NFL. Because it was a bad day. I mean, it was just a bad day across the board for our whole offense, but... They put it on, the Patriots made it his game to win, and obviously, you know how rookie quarterbacks do against Bilicek. (laughs) So I want to see if he can shake this off, especially knowing how close we were to beating you guys the last time we played. I want to see if he can come back from an effort like that and put something solid together here to end the season. That gives us as Bills fans a whole lot of silver linings to look forward to. For the Dolphins, what do you guys have? What is it as a fan that's motivating you guys to watch this game? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing. I mean, like I mentioned, if if they want to attach Adam Gaze's job security to this game, then the we're already lost because just having that decision in your back pocket saying, we're going to put a Week 17 game, an irrelevant game, 
as the decider whether or not this guy needs to come back and coach when the previous week you had a chance to actually get into the playoffs still and you laid a goose egg at home against Cody Kessler and Blake fucking Bortles and you talk about what Josh Allen could do as far as giving you guys some excitement going into the offseason he's gonna do it I guarantee it because <laughs> you go back to the game in Miami he ran for a buck 35 and last week against Jacksonville Kessler was doing nothing offensively they had nothing going on offense they bring in Blake Bortles and they just incorporate the simple zone read the most basic running package in today's NFL they go with the zone read and it completely befuddles the Dolphins defense to the point where the Jaguars are now marching drive after drive so I mean you throw the smallest wrinkle at this defense and they can't handle it the athletic mobile quarterback I think that Allen's going to just run all over the Dolphins ass as far as what to look forward to I guess a drubbing and trying to run these guys out of the building so that they can do a clean sweep. The roster could be purged at like 50% overturn this offseason. So we're back in the same saddle, baby, hoping for just completely overturn, overchange with the coaching staff and roster and just a fucking Groundhog's Day, man. So you just said something interesting there that I, I guess this is what, at this point in the season, neither one of our teams are going to the playoffs. There has to be something worth getting people to turn the TV on for this thing for. One of the things that I'm going to be paying attention to really isn't anybody in a Bills uniform. Right now, the Bills have a lot of holes on offense. And, I mean, they've got some room for improvement on defense. And like you said, there's a lot of players on your current roster that aren't going to be there. So, with that said, do you see? Do you foresee the coaching staff, kind of like how the Buffalo Bills have done? Last week, going into our matchup against New England, we benched former Miami Dolphin Charles Clay. Tight end making $9 million. He's a healthy scratch. Because the coach said, hey, I want to see what else we have at this position on the roster. I want to give other guys a chance at being the number one tight end and just see how it turns out. And we saw how it turned out. (laughs) But with that, (laughs) it shows that they understand that this is essentially just throw it away at this point. This is what we're trying to do. For you guys, is there any of that dynamic? Are there any younger players that you might see getting more time on the field that we should kind of know about? I mean, is there anybody interesting out there? And are there any veterans that you guys are losing who you think might be attractive free agent pickups once they hit free agency next year? That's actually a really good topic to bring up because the way you go into this game is you would think, you know, the, the forethought that Sean McDermott had to do that at tight end, I love that. I think that's great, like you mentioned. And last year in that Week 17 game against the Bills in Miami, the Dolphins actually took that approach with, I think, Zach Sterrett played left tackle and got beaten for like three or four sacks. I mean, it was just a nightmare for him. They put David Fales in after Jay Cutler's one series. So they kind of took that approach last year. And Adam Gase specifically said this year at, the, at his press availability this week that we're not going to go into this game just trying to get by. We're going to – the famous quote, now infamous, I suppose, is that 8-8 eight and eight sounds a lot better than 7-9. and nine. It's like, no, it fucking doesn't. It sounds the exact same to me. So, But that's what he says. And that's why I hate the idea of having a coach that you know has to win to keep his job when you're in the middle of what should be a rebuild. So that's neither here nor there. But as far as guys in the roster you can expect to maybe see a little bite out of, we have an undrafted rookie out of Utah State named Jalen Davis. He was a uh, All-American back in college, and last week was his first NFL action. And he had a sack, a forced fumble, and he had a third and five or a third and goal pass breakup in the end zone. So hopefully he shows some bite. But other than that, man, I mean, not really. Kalen uh, Balage in the backfield could be a good guy to look at too for fantasy guys and just fans of football in general. I mean, I look at your team right now and I see a couple guys that I'm interested in that I'm going to be looking at because again. Based on the holes I see on this roster and knowing what their likely status is going to be heading into the offseason, especially if you guys are doing a complete teardown and rebuild, 
I'm looking at right tackle Juwan James. I'm looking at guys like Devontae Parker. I'm looking at guys like Jakeem, what, Jakeem Grant almost got cut. He almost got cut from your team after making it seem in the last two years like he was really starting to come on as kind of an undrafted guy and trying to find his legs here in the NFL. These are some guys I'm going to have my eyes on. What, what are your takes on them? Just where you see them with their future with the Miami Dolphins. And what, oh, yeah, do you, what, and what do you expect to see out of them on Sunday? Yeah, I left that part of the question off. My bad. Uh, Jakeem Grant, well, he's out for the year, so he's, he's not going to oh, okay. play. But, but uh, he, I mean, so you mentioned he almost got cut. That was after his rookie year. He was terrible returning punts. He muffed everything. And now he's, frankly, the best return guy in the NFL. So, I mean, I, he, I hope he gets a contract extension. He should be kind of cheap. I want to keep him around for, you know, as long as we can. Um, who else did you mention? Oh, well, first of all, Juwan James. Yeah, a that's tackle. a good one. Uh, so I think they have to bring him back only because there's just such a scarcity on the offensive line in the NFL that if you have a guy that can compete at a high level, you have to get him back. And I think he's going to be expensive, but he'll be he'll be cheaper than anything they're going to find on the open market. And he's going to be a, he's going to be a better player than what they would find on the open market, unless you want to go for a rookie. That's basically your two options. So I would bring him back, even though he has some pretty bad games at times. He plays good most of the time. And then I think Robert Quinn is another one that could be interesting to some to some teams. He's, I think, 28, 29 years old, which is crazy. Seems like he's been in the league forever. But he he's due $13 bucks next year, so I think he's probably cut as a cap casualty. But other than that, man, there's uh, Devontae Parker could be an option. I think they're going to cut him here pretty much right after the season ends. So if you need a receiver, which the Bills might, that could be a guy you try to buy low and see if you can get something out of him. I mean, I'm just taking a look over these numbers, man, for you guys for the last month, and it's it's bad. I mean, 100 and your defense is giving up 155 yards per game on the ground, 27 points per game on average. You just like you just mentioned, you got torched by Cody Kessler and Blake Bortles, who combined probably don't have the quarterback talent that Chris does here. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I just I, they, 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 okay, so that's a little that's that's a stretch. But here's what I'll say: they aren't number one quarterback on. Probably the depth chart of 30 other NFL teams. Is that fair? Uh, probably all of them. What did they do in that game last week? I mean, I kept seeing the score and I just couldn't believe it. I was too busy watching fantasy football, like the other games for my fantasy football scores. But I kept looking at the score and I'm saying, there's no way. There's no way this is actually happening. And then it was final. I mean, they were they were largely stopping Cody Kessler. But once Blake Bortles came in, that zone read opened up the quarterback keep, which Charles Harris, my God, I put a gif on Twitter of him chasing the the front side of the play and letting the backside gate go out to Blake Bortles for like a 12 yard gain. And then from there, it was just Leonard Fournette and and TJ Yeldon and all those backs those they have down there. So they just started pounding the run against the Dolphins. But you talk about the defensive shortcomings and yeah, they're terrible. Don't get me wrong. But on offense, it's I mean, it's like. It's less than 200 yards in four of the last five games. 200 yards in today's NFL. Quarterbacks throw for that every single Sunday across the league. Like every Sunday you have probably 25 guys that throw for 200 yards, right? Well, Ryan Tannehill never does. And the Dolphins' offense hasn't gained more than that as a whole, but like once out of the last five games. So it's anemic, man. I I don't – to me it's a sign that the coaching staff has lost these guys in terms of the motivation and getting the will to play because it's just getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the stats from last week. There isn't a single player on your team who had more than 45 yards receiving. Yeah, that's even Zay Jones managed to finish with 60 yards and a touch, even though half of that was in garbage time. I mean, I'm just looking at this and I'm just trying to think of what kind of a just a shit show we're going to walk into on Sunday because we're going to be there loud and proud because that's what you got to do, right? I mean, you buy the season tickets, 
I'll be damned if I let somebody in teal sit in my seat. <laughs> I, it'll be a cold day in hell. Which, hilariously, for any of you, you might want to spread the word for any of your Dolphins friends who are uh, coming, it's going to be about 28 degrees. It'll be Yikes. 50 on Friday and then 28 on Sunday because this is Buffalo. Of course it would be. So just take a look at this here. I mean, you look at the shortcomings of the offense, the defense. I mean, our team obviously has its warts. What do you expect your offense to bring to the table? I mean, are you guys really going to try this just – I mean, do you expect them to focus on the run because that's what the Patriots did? Are you expecting them to try to get by with the passing game? I mean, what do you, what do you foresee? Yeah, they're going to run the hell out of the ball just because if they get in a third long, they cannot pass protect right now at all. I mean, Tannehill took nine sacks against the Vikings, which I think was a franchise record. And then last week against the Jaguars, it wasn't a whole lot better. Maybe four or five, six sacks he took in that game. But they just they can't protect him right now. And he's he's kind of getting that. You know, people talked in the beginning of his career, when is he going to become David Carr? Not Derek Carr, but David Carr of the Houston Texans, where he gets hit so much that he just he has that psychological kind of you know, pause in terms of getting rid of the football. And I pointed out on Twitter today, there was a throwback in 2016 where he took a shot up the sideline and got blasted by Corey Legia. And he, he knew it was coming. It was right in his face. And he drops a dime, gets a 15-yard roughing the passer penalty. And he stood in there and took that shot and threw that ball with confidence. And that's who he used to be. But now it's completely different. Like, he is shell-shocked. He's ducking into sacks. He's doing the old famous, uh, what's the guy from the Jim Rome sketch where he says, I bet you won't call me Chris again, Jim Everett. Oh, Jim Everett, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's starting to look like that out there. And so you take that with the fact that he already didn't have great feel for rush and, and recognition of where the pressure comes from, with the fact that he's got a bum shoulder, a bum knee, he's just a shell of a quarterback right now. So he's he's holding things back. The offensive line's garbage. They're going to try to get themselves into third and fives and then convert from there. But they're the worst third down offense in the NFL. So I don't know, man. Just all shit. <laughs> I could have sw- sworn you just described Trent Edwards. He made one play and then he gets injured and then now he's just scared. Sounds a lot like Trent Edwards. I'll tell you, it sounds like what we're what we're gearing up to see is uh, you know two yards in a cloud of dust from both teams on most plays, which is going to make for great television, folks. We're, <laughs> folks, b- b- do yourselves a favor. Hit up the store, whether it's the liquor store, the you know consumers, your your local uh, package store, depending on where you live in the country. You're gonna need booze on hand for this one. I have a, I have a feeling about this. Just a gut feeling. Well, yeah. If you're gonna watch it on TV, you're definitely gonna need booze because Travis. I don't know if you looked into it, but it's Beth Moens and Steve Berline. Oh my! Making gosh. the call. Yep. Oh my God! Thank God we're gonna be at the stadium. Chris. I know. Who? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm glad I won't have to listen to Beth Moens and Steve Berline. I. You know what I'd rather listen to? I'd rather listen to Ace of Base on repeat. For three and a half hours, while I shove a screwdriver through my other ear. Okay, I, th- that's it. That's just that, that's that's nonsense. This crew is terrible, and this game seems like the perfect fit for them. Travis, before we let you go, there's no point in trying to make predictions on this shit show we're about to watch. It could be high. It could be the highest scoring game of the week because both of our defenses just shit the bed. It could be no points because both of our defenses show up and both of our offenses just become inept. Nobody knows what they're getting. I'm not even going to bother myself trying to make a prediction here. Under over, okay? I've got some under overs for you. First and foremost, it always tends to happen. You know that, that saying, you always want to be the hammer and not the nail? And it seems like injuries in the NFL happen when no one's really true, like when you're not giving 100% effort. How many cart-related injuries? I have the under over at two and a half. What do you got? As, lo- 
as long as I keep Xavier Howard out so that cannot happen to him, I'm okay. But uh, yeah, two and a half. Shit, I'll go under. I'll, I'll take the under just because I don't want to see it happen. Well, no, nobody wants to see it happen. But somehow <laughs> the Bills Isaiah McKenzie gets carted off at least once a game. I think it was, <laughs> and then comes back, and then he comes back, and then the he old comes Paul Pierce in the yeah. same game. It is the Paul Pierce. The first time he did it, I thought it was funny. I'm like, oh, not funny, but I was like, oh man, look at this guy. He's a warrior. And then the second time it happened, it's like, okay, well that's that's strange. Why does he, he, he's holding his, it's like a soccer play. He's holding his leg, he's in pain, he's writhing around. They get the cart, they put him on it, and there it goes down the tunnel. And then five drives later, and probably about half a dozen beers, I look at the TV and I'm like, I, I might be buzzed, but I know I'm not hammered, and that looks like Isaiah McKenzie out there catching that ball. I don't know, he's just out there running around again. It's like a soccer injury for him. Yeah, when that happened with the Jets, uh, he, he went down un untouched, and I, I text Kyle, I was like, Achilles? And then uh, a couple minutes later, he texts back, he was like, uh, it was just cramps. <laughs> and you, you had to get carted off for cramps? You LeBron James? <laughs> what? You LeBron James. <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy. Here's a, here's a good one. Total turnovers. Three and a half. I'll take the over all day. Yeah, over. <laughs> it's probably going to be miserable and cold. Is there is there any precipitation in the forecast at all? I oh, hope so. Oh, who friggin' knows? For, if there for, is, take the over and double it. Take the over and double And then fans remaining in the stadium by the fourth quarter. What's the total? Uh, well, so here's what we're going to put the under over on. I assume that the, there's probably only going to be about 50% attendance at this really? thing to begin with. I'm guessing that this place is going to be at maximum three quarters full, which, Chris, if I'm right, well, what is it, about 70,000 people? 70... Yeah, that, that's how much fits the, the, the in the stadium. Capacity. Yeah. So if you're talking 70,000, I'm going to say there's about 50 that actually show up. If the if the under-over is 25 by the fourth quarter, under or over? I'll take the over just because you guys do such a good job of filling that stadium up when you aren't playing well anyway, so I, I imagine you'll do it again. But uh, I did hear on the Move the Sticks podcast today that they're selling tickets for 17 bucks. <laughs> that's not the worst. No, I mean, yeah, you can... You can probably go to StubHub right now and find tickets for eight bucks. That that happened, wow. and that's not and that's not a joke. That happened to us. Our one of our fellow season ticket holders, Chris and I, in our section, section two hundred, row seven. You know, we're sitting there. He gives his ticket away to his brother in law, and then after he gave it away, and he's like, "Oh, I'm not coming." He texts back. Well, wait a minute, I am coming because I found a seat on StubHub. Whatever I had to do got canceled, and there's a seat on StubHub for $8. Wow. And it's right behind where we're currently sitting. It's like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, what are we doing here? Come on! Secondhand sales, man. I, my, I, took a, I bought tickets to the Seahawks and Dolphins opener at CenturyLink Field in 2016 for 500 bucks a pop, man. So Jesus, I, I need those prices. Yeah, no, <laughs> well, first of all, you'd never, you're never going to find that at a Bills game in December. Yeah. But I think that's just that's just commensurate with what we're looking forward to here. I mean, we, folks, for those of you listening at home, this is not going to be if you're if you're thinking that this is going to be some masterpiece, some work of art, you should probably go watch a different football game because you're not going to get that this Sunday. What you're going to get is it's either going to be one of two things, in my opinion. It's going to be the one of the most miserable football games you've ever watched. Or I see it just being the Bills just running Josh Allen down the Miami Dolphins' throat. Travis, thank you so much for joining us tonight and just helping us parse through this nonsense that's been, 
<laughs> I mean, this is going to be an absolute disaster of a game, and I'm just glad that you and I both share kind of a sense of humor about it. And where can we find you on Twitter, and what are you doing at Locked On Dolphins for this upcoming offseason? Yeah, I just uh, erased the entire whiteboard, which was prepped for the regular season, kind of gets my injury updates and just makes it easier to do the podcast next to me. So I just wiped that clean, kind of putting the contract situations together coming up for the offseason. So a pre or an offseason preview, both on the podcast and at LockedOnDolphins.com and, of course, at Wingfield NFL on Twitter. Travis Wingfield, one of our favorite guests, again, at Wingfield NFL. Always a pleasure to have him on the show and to hear about what happened to him in uh, Miami while he was credentialed for that Miami, wait, Miami Miracle. Did I say that right? Miracle. 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 <laughs> Miracle. God, I hate you. God. I'm, I'm, there's not enough you could say about those North Collins school systems. It's a miracle. <laughs> Folks, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for sticking this season out. It's been a rough one. I mean, we... Just from the standpoint of downloads to my motivation to prep for these shows. I mean, today, I think it took me 35 minutes to throw together a show prep today. This has been, it's just been a weird season, and I very much appreciate all of you sticking it out with us. Those of you diehards who show up week in and week out, regardless of how ugly it might get or how many moose heads might go down on this end of things. Chris, it's been fun, but we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thank you so much for showing up for this season of the Rock Pile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.